Verse 11, take care lest you forget the Lord your God. Verse 17, beware lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand have gotten me this wealth. Verse 19, and if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish. These are grave warnings from God given by Moses just prior to his departure and their arrival in the promised land. Deuteronomy is Moses' last great sermon. Uh, you'll find what I'm going to be saying on the outline that we sent to you in that uh, in the email just we got the last day. Hope you can print it up. It's easier to follow the talk if you've got the outline there in front of you. Even print it now if you need to and uh, get that pen that Phil referred to so as to take notes. It all helps in the listening process because it's harder for you and it's harder for me to do it this way than in person. But we're going to get through lots of material this afternoon. What a year 2020 has been, hasn't it? All our plans have been shot to pieces as the world's battened down and we've tried to cope with this new virus by going home and staying home. I understand that the Bermuda Triangle, where people die and disappear, has now moved into people's homes. It exists somewhere between the fridge, the TV and the bed as we travel those three spots and die. Our governments, of course, have been struggling, struggling to deal with the t twin and related concepts of, of the health problems and the economic problems. They interact with each other. Experts, of course, are giving the government all kinds of expert advice from all conceivable and some inconceivable uh, points of view. But no expert can actually make the decision. It's got to be our leaders who have got to balance up all these differing pieces of advice and make decisions about things that, well, ultimately we don't know, do we? We don't know the outcome, but they've got to make decisions in the meantime. So what are nature's lessons in this pandemic? Well, actually, nature with a capital N doesn't teach any lessons and should never be written with a capital N like it is in our outline because you can't personify nature like that. Nature has no meaning and purpose like that. There's no God Gia who's going to teach us anything. What we're confronted with is a new virus in this, our world, and we have to respond to it, hopefully with thought. We thought about the mechanics that the government is dealing with on how to respond to it, but also seeing we're locked down and have got nothing to do for some time, thinking about the larger issues of the values of life and death and meaning and purpose. That's why we need to listen not to the pandemic, but to God and study his word, both the Old Testament, which we've just had read to us, and the New Testament, which Monique will read to us in the second session. We listen to what God has to say about how to respond to what he is doing in this world, in this pandemic that we're all facing. I mean, our government's responding in the mechanics of science and economics, of communication and law, and they're acting out 
I'm glad to say, culturally acceptable assumptions of the values of every human life that actually have come from our Christian heritage. But they're not responding consciously to God and his message that we should hear in his word, which explains where this pandemic fits into the purposes of God and our purposes. What is the meaning of this world full of plagues? Our two talks today are going to deal with both communalism and individualism in the response to COVID-19. The first of these talks now is going to deal with communalism under the heading of pandemics and the communal response. The second talk is going to be about pandemics and our individual response. The Bible teaches both communalism and individualism, but unlike the world, it doesn't push either of those out to extremes. We're part and parcel of a family of humanity, but we're also individually responsible for our actions. Some societies emphasise the communalism too far, that wind up living under the tyranny of a dictator or the tyranny of their culture and lose out their individuality. Other societies, Australia and the Western world, we live as individuals. And in the last 75 years have emphasised individualism too far so that we've lost all sense of a common life and we've lost sense of being dependent upon our culture and our society that is around about us, let alone contributing to it. While our initial individualistic response to COVID was to care for ourselves, typically we went hoarding and of course famously and humorously toilet paper seemed to be the thing that we had to hoard for ourselves. Our government's response to COVID-19 has been communalism, has challenged our individualism and imposed communalism upon us because we didn't understand it, had to pass laws, had to get police out to actually force us to be a community again. But we don't like that. We don't like the sense of being told what to do. We don't like the sense of putting ourselves out for the benefits of the community as a whole. We don't like thinking of ourselves as somehow dependent upon the community. And we don't like the idea that individuals are suffering because of the community, that individuals could be punished somehow. It doesn't make sense to us. Yet that kind of naive individualism is at best naive and at worst plain stupid my health, my wealth, my education, my freedoms, my lifestyle depend upon my society, my nation, upon the history of generations that lay before me who have created the kind of lifestyle that I have and upon the history of this nation and upon our cultures and our values and our way of life. My, my very existence is because of not my own choice, but my parents. In the Bible, God deals with nations and peoples and families as well as individuals. Individuals, of course, are caught up 
in national movements and problems and difficulties and circumstances such as war or the disasters of, of weather or plagues as we're in at the moment. But God is at work at all times in all these things. As Isaiah says, God creates well-being, prosperity, shalom, wealth, well-being and calamity, disaster, the evils that are happening here. So before we look at our individual response to the pandemic, we need to think about our communal response to the pandemic. We need to look at that obvious other reality than just me, myself, but us as a nation and as a people, as a culture, and indeed as a globe, for it is pandemic, this one we have. And so we need to turn in our reading to Deuteronomy as a great passage where God speaks to a nation, the nation Israel. And here we see, firstly, God's goodness. The whole passage speaks of his concern and his care for the people of Israel, liberating them from slavery in Egypt and leading them to the prosperity of the promised land. For God's goodness is seen in creation from the very beginning. If you remember, he created humanity in his image and he placed man and woman in a garden full of everything you could possibly conceivably want to have. And it's reprised that Garden of Eden kind of prosperity here in the people entering into the land that he's promised to give to them. Look across to verse 7. For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks and of water, of fountains and of spring, flowing out in the valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity, in which you will lack nothing, a land which, whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper, and you shall eat and be full, and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land that he has given to you. But yet the chapter finishes up with a terrible reminder, reminder of judgment. Look down verse 19. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you will surely perish. Like the nations that the Lord make to perish before you, you shall perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord your God. But then again, this still reminds us of Genesis and the opening chapters of Genesis. For humanity sinned in the Garden of Eden and were driven out of the garden, driven away from the tree of life into the world of death, the world that we know, the world where pestilence and plague is all too common. All of us communally were there sinning in the Garden of Eden. We were made to sin on that day that Adam and Eve ate of the fruit. And we share, all of us, in the penalty of sin, for none of us are now born in the Garden of Eden. We're all outside of it in the world of death. We all share in the reality of suffering and sickness and death. But notice, sin and judgment in the Bible is a communal experience. We sin together and we are judged together. The nation Israel will perish like the other nations 
that they turn their back on God, the other nations that God has caused to perish. But yet, in this judgment, God cares for his people. He cares for them with the goodness of his discipline. He prepared them out in the wilderness before they came into the promised land, providing them in such a way in verse 3 as to humble them and to teach them that he may make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds, that comes from the mouth of God. And so he reminds them how he liberated them, verse 14, how he led them in verse 15, protected them in verse 15 and provided for them in verses 15 and 16. And you'll notice the end purpose of this in verse 16, that he might humble you and test you to do good for you in the end. His disciplining judgments out in the wilderness were actually for their good so that when they came to the promised land, they could properly live and rejoice and enjoy in this land. The judgment of God on the sinful world will in the end come to the end when each individual will face our maker. But its foretaste is here already, is here in the events of calamity that come upon peoples and upon nations as God warns that not all, it's not all right with this world. This is not the best of all possible worlds. This is the disfigured world of death and condemnation as God prepares us for the judgment to come by warning us of the judgment to come. As God disciplines us, humbling us with all manner of difficulties to stop us thinking that we are God and to teach us to trust him, not ourselves, for everything. Friends, the coronavirus is not God losing control of the world. It's not God falling asleep and, oh, he woke up and now, look, there's a mess down there. It's not anything like that. It's part of God's disciplining judgment upon the world. It's part of God warning humanity, preparing us, humbling us, teaching us that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. But it comes corporately. It comes upon peoples, upon nations, upon communities. Like, like in the book of Revelation, where you have the seals and the trumpets being opened, warning again and again and again of the judgment that lies ahead of us. Moses explains and reminds God's nation Israel of the disciplining work he's given them over the last 40 years. Because as they go into the promised land, this wonderful land full of everything you could possibly need, they have the great danger, the abiding problem of human arrogance. And they're in danger of sharing it. So look at verse 12. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God. But notice in verse 12 the way in which they forget or may forget the Lord their God. It's not a mental process. It's, it's not you're going to get dementia when you're there so that you can't remember. 
It's the intentional moral problem of disobedience, the sins of commission and the sins of omission. Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes which I command you today. But when, when and why would they forget his commandments like that? Well, verses 12 to 14 spells it out for us a bit more. Lest when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up and you forget the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You see, during the times of the wilderness, they were constantly being reminded to rely upon God. But once in the promised land with everything they could possibly need plus more, once they become wealthy and they're living in the houses in comfort, during wealth and prosperity that seduces the human heart, then arrogance. Arrogance comes in, being lifted up. They forget the Lord who has given them all these things and they turn away from living his way to doing it their own way. The why they will forget and ignore his commandments is further spelled out for us in verses 17 to 18. Beware, lest you say in your heart, my power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is this day. God promised them in his covenant that they'd live in peace and prosperity in the promised land. But when they get there, they'll think that it was their own doing. When they get there into that wealth and prosperity, they'll forget it's God's doing. Here's the arrogance of nearly all wealthy people down the history and around the world, powerful people. They imagine that it's by their own efforts that they have their possessions, that they deserve their wealth that they've made. And they forget it is God. It is by God who gives them the power to make the wealth. I passed my exams. I qualified in my career, I've, I've worked hard, I've saved hard, I've, I've taken the risks in my investments. I deserve my wealth in my retirement. But none of that's true, <laughs> not really. If I was born in a different age, if I was born in a different country, if I was born into a different socioeconomical background, if I was born with a different genetic code, if I was born with a different family and its encouragement, the results would have been very, very different. God uses many variables to enable us to have the power to get wealth. We do have noticed the power to get wealth. Humans can, but notice it's important that we remember that that power to get wealth is something derived from outside, not something inherent within me. It is God who gives me the power to have the wealth that I have made. 
But you should be thinking at this point. Now, hang on, Philip, hang on. You haven't got the Bible right here. This is Israel. This is not humanity that we're talking about. God promised in the covenant to give to Israel these things. Well, I hope you've thought like that because you should be listening with a very critical ear to whatever it is and watching with even more critical eye to what I'm saying here. It's very important that you observe like that. But what is being taught here reflects the Bible's teaching, not only about Israel, but about humanity itself, as it's used of other nations than Israel. Uh, think back to the Tower of Babel in Genesis chapter 11, how God said, Behold, they are one people and they've all one language and this is only the beginning of what they will do and nothing they propose to do will now be impossible to them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their languages so that they may not understand one another's speech. It's God who frustrates us as well as enables us. Hum he frustrates humanity. He made humanity to rule the world he created us to do it in his image, but in our pride and in our arrogance, we think that we can do it without him. We think that we will build the tower through our technology that will be able to make a name for ourselves and never be divided. But God will not have it. The Psalms also speak of the nation's arrogance. In Psalm 9, we read, the Lord has made himself known he has executed judgment. The wicked are snared in the work of their own hands. The wicked shall return to Sheol, all the nations that forget God. Just as Israel could forget God, so the nations could forget God. And neither Israel nor the nations should ever forget God. Just as it says at the end of Deuteronomy 8 here, where Israel is warned that they will perish like the other nations whom God has sent out of the land. And this human arrogance has a long history in Western civilization. It lay explicitly in the heart of the Renaissance in the 15th or 16th century, and also in the Enlightenment of the 17th, 18th, 19th century. Both movements were attempts to some extent to replace God with man though this humanism was undone during the 19th century and into the 20th century by existentialisms wrestling with that which humanism can never understand and deal with, namely death. Existentialism is a very pessimistic, dark, bleak kind of philosophy because death dominates, which is true of life. And of course, it was further undermined by naturalism's reduction of humanity to the status of animals. In the middle of the 20th century, late 20th century, Alexander Solzhenitsyn came to the fore. There he is on the front of Time magazine. <laughs> Some of our millennials have never heard of this man. But it's very important that you do. He was a Russian prisoner of conscience for eight years and then he was exiled for a further three years and then he was stripped of his citizenship and deported, living in Germany and the United States for a further 20 years before returning to Russia in his old age and dying in 2008. 
Amongst his many books, the one called The Gulag Archipelago was one of the most important and influential books of the 20th century because it finally blew the whistle on the terrible things that the Communist Party were doing, the torture and the sheer evil of the Siberian labour camps, which he had first-hand experience of. In a famous commencement address at Harvard University, he attacked Western culture. He attacked the superficial happiness and the herd instinct of an irresponsibility of the media, the moral bankruptcy of legal rights arguments and the meaninglessness of our society. He wrote, or he spoke and said, the humanistic way of thinking which has proclaimed itself our guide, did not admit the existence of intrinsic evil in man, nor did see any task higher than the attainment of happiness on earth. It started modern Western civilization on the dangerous trend of worshipping man and his material needs. Everything beyond physical well-being and the accumulation of material goods were left outside as if human life didn't have any higher meaning. Our spiritual life, it is trampled by the party mob in the East, by the commercial one in the West. Well, he was describing Australia. And I presume for those of you who are living outside Australia, and we're so glad you're tuned into us, he was slightly describing you too, wasn't he? He was right in describing Australia of yesterday, before the pandemic hit. Then we were living like a nation that had forgotten God, and forgotten in the sense of living without him, forgetting to pay attention to his word and his ways of living. And so our lives were blighted by the deception of our incredible wealth our peace, our safety, our security, puffed up with the arrogance of the wealthy, sure that life was meant to be lived the way we were now living it. Governed, as Solzhenitsyn observed, by these materialism, hedonism, individualism, the materialistic acquisition of wealth and possessions, the hedonistic pursuit of pleasure, and the individual's responsibility for their own life and their own decisions. Now, there's nothing wrong with these three things in one sense. For look how God provided for the children of Israel with just these kinds of things. How they were to be living in wealth and pleasure and enjoyment in the, in the land of paradise that he was giving to them. There's nothing wrong with any one of these things provided they're not the sum total of our lives, provided they're lived remembering of our creator who gives them to us, provided they don't deceive us into arrogance, provided they're part of our service towards God and to our neighbours. But they weren't. For our community has forgotten God. Our society saw its life and its meaning and its purpose in the individual pursuit of materialistic possessions and hedonistic pleasures. And out of this yesterday, before the pandemic, 
our society was actually becoming apart, coming apart at the seams, with wealth untold and boredom increasing, with freedoms untold and addictions abounding. We travelled the world to fill our bucket lists with photographs and memories and images that we would take into our coffins and graves. We outsourced our factories to the poor countries in a global market that hid the sweatshops which produced the cheap clothing that we enjoyed. We turned our halls of learning into money-making career factories. We've debased our community games and sport into the gladiatorial entertainment of professional, I don't know what you'd call it, for the gambling and television industries. We've been so rich. We've never been so rich. But we can't afford to buy our houses. We've never had more freedom to be lonely, depressed and addicted to chemicals. We've never been so time poor and so stressed as we juggle commuting and, and family life and work life. Society was coming, as, uh, coming as, uh, apart at the seams. And then, then came the virus. And in its responding to the pa pandemic, the government blows the whistle on everything we're doing. Everything stops. Go home, stay there, don't come out. Our tourists, they've got to come home and those who are here, please leave. Our airports are shut down, our, our football cease, our, our universities are closed down, our economy moves into a recession in Australia, the first one we've had in several decades. And we have time at last, time to stop, time to think, time to wonder about individualism and globalism. They're both dead. But then what is, as they love to call it, the new normal, which we haven't come to? Here's the time for the nation to turn back to God, to turn back in humility and repentance rather than arrogance and overconfidence, to look to create a better new normal, to rediscover community spirit and loving our neighbours, to place our material wealth under thanksgiving to God. Australians are very thankful for being Australians, but if you ever ask an Australian who they thanks for being an Australian, they never know who to thank. They think they're lucky stars, as if lucky stars have somehow given us what we have, rather than remembering God who has given us what we have. And so we take pride in self-centeredness and arrogance. We use our wealth we could for the benefit of others, but no, we do it to enjoy the good things that God has given to us or for ourselves. We could do so much now, but no. No, the immediate concern is our health and our economy which overwhelms any possibility of debating anything more serious. We look for a vaccine. <laughs> I love looking for a vaccine. There are three reasons, you know. One is so as to bring health and protect people from this dreadful disease. That's a wonderful reason, isn't it? There's a second reason too, make a lot of money. 
Because the person who invents the vaccine is a very rich person, isn't it? They make a lot of money. Well, no, we want to help people. Do you know the real reason that we're so keen for this vaccine? We're all very keen for it. It's so that the new normal can be the old normal. So we can get back to what we were doing before this, this whole thing happened. We can start living the same way we were living, ignoring God, forgetting God, and not making any uncomfortable changes to our lifestyle. Now, here is the time for the nation to stop, turn back, think about what's happening. Remember God, who has given us all things. And what about the church? There's another communal expression, isn't there? How is the church to respond? Well, the politicians don't see the church as essential, do they? Not like the clubs and the pubs. Oh, we've got to get them functioning as quickly as possible. We don't want to miss out on gambling and grog. That's really, really important. Certainly Christians should obey our governing authorities especially when their demands are manifestly for the loving our neighbours, for the common good. And we do need to pray for our leaders in the midst of what is an almost impossible task of making the best actions where they really do not know the outcomes yet. And we can be thankful to God for our scientists, for our medical fraternity, for our profession of doctors and, and the wonderful nurses who are willing to put their lives at risk for looking after our elderly and our sick. And previous pandemics didn't have the medical skills and the knowledge that we have at our disposal today. So let us thank God for these wonderful people and their skills. But yet there's still something missing even in church life and our thanksgivings. What about hearing God's word, explaining why we have these viruses and calling upon our nation to turn back and repent of their godlessness? But a call to repentance is neither made nor heard, for we do not want to say that the pandemic is part of the judgments of God upon our sick world. We're not listening to what God says about the death in which we live. For who is proclaiming God's role in this pandemic? Who is declaring God's warning and judgment? Who is telling our nation that we're going the wrong way and we need to repent? And who is listening to such a message? In a nation of spiritually deaf people following a group think, the group think of atheism and secularism. It was in the national horror of the Stalin persecutions that Solzhenitsyn came to hear the message of the gospel and repent and put his faith in God. He wrote sadly, lamenting his nation, his people, his beloved Russia. He wrote these words, over half a century ago, while I was still a child, I recall hearing a number of old people offering the following explanation for the great disaster that had befallen Russia. Men have forgotten God. That's why all this happened. Since then, I've spent well nigh 50 years working on the history of our revolution. In the process, I've read hundreds of books, collected hundreds of personal testimonies, and have already contributed eight volumes of my own towards the effort of clearing away the rubble left by that upheaval. But if I were asked today 
to formulate as concisely as possible the main cause of the ruinous revolution that swallowed up some 60 million of our people. I could not put it more accurately than to repeat, men have forgotten God. That's why all this has happened. How closely it resembles Deuteronomy 8 and Moses' instructions in verse 18. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as it is to this day. And if you forget the Lord your God and go after other gods and serve them and worship them, I solemnly warn you today that you shall surely perish like the nations that the Lord makes to perish before you. So shall you perish because you would not obey the voice of the Lord our God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank and praise you for your word that you tell us of these fallen, broken worlds that we now live in and of your hand in sending disease and illness, your hand of preparing us, disciplining us, giving us hardships so that in the magnificent generosity of this world, in the overbounding, abounding wealth that you have given to us, you are reminding us that we do not live by bread alone, but by your word, reminding us not to forget you who has given us all our wealth. And yet, Father, we live in a nation and in nations that so sadly, so lamentably have forgotten you and who think that they themselves are responsible for their own wealth, that we are responsible for our wealth. Heavenly Father, pardon and forgive us. Thank you again for another warning of the judgment that is to come. Give to our nations and its leaders repentance to call upon the peoples of our land to turn back to you and make peace with you and live your way, not our way. And we ask it through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Saviour. Amen.